0: Today's scripture reading comes from Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is the word of the Lord. Amen, God.
1: Let me start by asking you a question this morning. When you pray for someone else, what does your prayer sound like? What do we usually say when we pray for others? Would it sound something like this? If I were to pray for Julia, I would, might say something like, Lord, I thank you for Julia. I thank you for her joy and the gift of her life. I pray that you would bless her today. I pray that you would be with her in, in, in moments when she feels that her grief is hard. I pray that you would protect her from the enemy who would cause her to doubt your goodness. And maybe, uh, and say in, in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Possibly, might you pray something like that? Now, the specifics and the content can change, of course. But I find that my prayer for others will generally follow something along those lines. Thinking about a person's situation. Wishing God's best on them. And if someone prayed a prayer like that for me, I think I would feel encouraged. I would feel like that, that's very thoughtful. But then you read a text like Ephesians, and you think of how the... The apostle Paul prays for the Ephesian church and you say, huh, my prayers don't really sound like that. <laughs> so today we're going to look at big picture prayer requests. What difference would our spiritual lives and prayers be like if we were to pray with this big picture of God's plan in mind? How might our world change? How might we change? Last week, we began the current series on Ephesians by looking at how Paul sets this tone for the entire letter by saying, reminding the Ephesian church thing, every spiritual blessing of God has been given to us in Christ. And the opening words of praise orient our lives in this context of God's plan to unite all things in heaven and earth under God's Son, Jesus. That's he opens up the entire letter. And Paul goes on to be encouraged by their faith in the Lord and he expresses gratitude, continuous gratitude. I thank God continuously for you. And with that picture in mind, how does he begin to pray for the church? So in verse 17, what does he say? I keep asking that the God, so this is a prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, this glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He's praying that they would know Jesus better. And what does he pray along those lines? He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you may know. Know the hope to which God has called you, to know the the riches of God's inheritance in his holy people and the incomparably great power for us who believe. So he's praying for them to know Jesus and to know all these aspects of life with Jesus. So today we're going to explore what it looks like for us to pray as Paul prayed. What if we not only just prayed for the needs of people around us or to pray for the world to be, look more like God's world, and not, but we would pray that they would enter into the fullness of, of life that Jesus has secured for all who would trust in Jesus. So as, G- as Jesus followers, we're invited to pray these kinds of prayers, to pray that others would enter into Christ's life and pray that others would live in this resurrection power. And praying for others to enter into, this, into Christ's life and pray for others to live in resurrection power. So the opening chapter of Ephesians reminds us of the kind of life that is available to all who would believe and trust in Jesus. And when we say believe and trust in Jesus, that's more than intellectual agreement or assent, believing the truths about Jesus and his claims. That certainly reflects a Greek or post-enlightenment understanding of our relationship with God. But you see, our faith isn't just all up in our head. Paul's words remind us that seeing and knowing Jesus suggests a very deep knowing from the center, center of our being. It's entering into the fullness of Christ's very own life as our own. Paul's words to the Ephesian church is that they would see, they would know, and ultimately they would embrace all that in the life that Christ has made available to them. And that's the same invitation for each one of us today. You see, faith in Christ isn't just a way to live a really good life or a respectable life. The Christian faith isn't just one religious path among many options to be a moral, upright person. The way of Christianity is literally entering into the way of life in Jesus. It is entering into and embracing the life that Jesus himself enjoys with God the Father and God the spirit. And that's what Paul is praying for here. Here's the thing. This life with God isn't something that we accumulate for ourselves or shore ourselves up and improve our lives towards. See, embracing this life of Christ is simply a gift. Entering into this life is a result of God's spirit at work in our hearts. It's God's spirit. That's why Paul prays. It's, may God give you the spirit uh, of wisdom and revelation to know Him. And it's God's spirit that opens our hearts to know God more, to see the fullness of God's work in our lives. Every spiritual blessing that is available to us, uh, that is available to Christ, is now available to us as a follower of Jesus. So now Paul prays that the eyes of their hearts would be open to see the full implications of all these privileges. And that's what he says, the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. And this term, the eyes of your heart, suggests more than just physical sight or intellectual ascent. It's a kind of spiritual perception and hunger that emanates from deep within because the Holy Spirit is doing its work in our lives. See, Paul doesn't pray, may God give you a fresh spiritual blessing. He doesn't pray, open up more of God to us. As if God has not already given everything we need and made it available to us. See, the assumption is, in his prayer request, is that God, all we need of God, is already available to us in Jesus. The privileges and benefits of being God's child are available to us who are in Christ already. Those are already there. Respected commentator John Stott says this about it. He says, What Paul does in Ephesians 1, and therefore encourages us to copy, is both to keep praising God that in Christ all spiritual blessings are ours, so keep praising, and two, to keep praying that we may know the fullness of what he's given to us. Keep praising God because everything is available to us, and keep praying that we would actually see it. Paul names three things to see and know here, which we already mentioned earlier. He prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to see the hope to which he has called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and three, his incomparably great power for us who believe. If we sit and recognize this is what is already available to us, that changes how we pray, Right? It's not praying from a place of weakness and lack, saying, God, um, you know, if, if you could, maybe, possibly, consider it in your good mind, maybe. If you, in your goodwill, maybe give this to me, if you could be bothered with it. It's praying, no, God, you have already, you are able to do this, you are willing to do this, I'm going to ask because this is who you are. For those who are in Christ, When we say in Christ, it's Paul's shorthand for saying those who have trusted in Jesus as savior and leader of their lives and therefore have access to unlimited union with the living God through Jesus. That's what we're saying in Christ. For those who are in Christ, we already have been called to a sure hope of being with God for now and in the age to come. We already have the riches of God's inheritance. We already have access to the incomparably great power available to us. All these things are already available to God's children who are in Christ. And for those of you who's like, hey man, this sounding like prosperity gospel. No, no, that's not what we're talking about. But we are saying, though our lives might feel like, and therefore our prayers might sound like, God, help me out of this situation, I just need you. Like, that's how we often pray, right? I pray like that. But Paul is saying our prayers can be, God, help me to see and embrace all the privileges and benefits that are already available to me because of my life in your son, Jesus. Everything that Jesus has access to as your beloved son, I now have access to because I am your beloved daughter. I am your beloved son. Does that not change how you might pray? Does that not change how you might view God? See, many years ago, when I first graduated from college, I worked for an airline. And first off, no, I was not a flight attendant. I don't know why, when people tell people I work for an airline, that's what they say, oh, were you a flight attendant? I don't know where they get the idea from, but just to let you know, in the event of emergency, the exits are there, and there, and there. What I did do as as an engineer doing some analysis, uh, analyst work, was looking at how to improve cost efficiencies within the airline operations. The point of the story is not what I did, but the point of the story that as an eligible, uh, as an airline employee, I had access to certain benefits and privileges. Employees could fly standby on one of the airline's flights. At that time, you could fly to Asia for 60 bucks. And because I got to know people in different departments of the airline's operations, I also learned how to use the airline's internal reservation system to look up uh, what it, the industry term is flight load. Flight load is this industry term that says, looks that tells you how many tickets are sold at different fare classes and how many tickets are oversold. So you would know, okay, that's not a good chance of getting on that flight. So having this privilege of not only having flight benefits but also the knowledge of how the reservation system works, it changes how you plan for travel. See, most of us now, like as a normal non-airline employee, you just Think of a place you'd like to go to and wait for prices to drop and then hopefully you can go there. Or you pick a flight based on the sale. But I learned how to find flights that had the most capacity for the planned travel and planned travel accordingly. The information and the flights were already available to me. I just needed someone to show me how to see it and take advantage of it. And I think that's kind of what Paul is talking about here with our life in, with God in Christ. Everything that Jesus has access to is available to us now and in the life to come. So we can pray and we can approach life out of a place of abundance and fullness rather than out of a place of lack or doubt in Christ. Having access to every spiritual blessing doesn't mean that we always get what we pray for. Just hear that. Having access to it does not mean you'll get everything that you think you need. But it changes our posture in how we ask for those things. We can boldly ask God to heal. We can boldly ask God to intervene in difficult situations because it's been made available to us in Christ. We can boldly ask God to provide miraculously and to to restore broken relationships because that is what God does. And this leads to the other aspect that Paul spends time on living in Christ's resurrection power. Paul spends the second half, the last few verses of this uh, chapter, talking about power. And as we introduced Ephesians last week, power is something that is on the minds of the Ephesian church. Many of them, these early Christians in Ephesus, were converts from backgrounds of magic practices and erotic worship rituals in the cult of the goddess Artemis in that people would go to the temple of Artemis, which was one of the large features in Ephesus, and they would sleep with temple prostitutes to invoke fertility and power for their own lives. So this letter is written to people who are very aware of power and its dynamics, and they needed help on what it looks like for a Jesus follower to relate to power and how to walk with encouragement in light of what feels like very dark spiritual forces. So what does Paul say? He mentioned power a lot here. He says, he prays for them that they would know this incomparably great power for us who believe. This is verse 19. That that power is the same as the mighty strength, power, strength, he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above rule and authority and power and dominion. Paul reminds them that the kind of power available to those who know, uh, to know Jesus, it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead and raised him up to be seated at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. That's verse 21. It's the same power that earthly, every earthly, every heavenly authority will one day submit to. It's the same power that any and all power that we see in this world, life will one day bow before Jesus. That's what Paul says in another letter he writes to the Philippian church, saying that one day every power, every uh, knee will bow in the, to the name of Jesus. God has appointed everything to, be, to submit to Jesus and his authority. Paul says that to a church, that is hesitant about its relationship to these overwhelming powers around them. And there is absolute. he's saying, there's absolutely no comparable power to the power that raised Jesus from the dead. Full stop. Nothing. Everything that you see, think is powerful and overwhelming, is nothing compared to Jesus. And this is given to them to, and to us to assure that The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is living within you now. Catholic theologian J.A. Fitzmaier says this about this resurrection power. The resurrection power emanates from God the Father, raises Jesus from the dead at the resurrection, endows him with a new vitality, and finally proceeds from him as the life-giving, vitalizing force of the new creation and of the new life that Christians in union with Christ experience and live. This is the power available to all who trust in Jesus. When we are joined to Jesus through faith, this is what we have access to. This is what is living from within. Now, in our contemporary lives, I think we're not facing... The presence of magic or not really, and cultic powers, they're not really on the front of mind for most of us and our peers. Now, and some of us might be skeptical of any mention of power. We seek to give it away for fear of being seen as power hungry or using power unwisely. It's like, no, no, I'm not not one of those kinds of people. Being encouraged to live in Christ's resurrection power available to us may seem kind of scary. But Paul's encouragement doesn't seem to outrightly reject all and avoiding power. Now, we may not sleep with temple prostitutes to invoke power in our lives, but you don't have to look very far, especially around here, to see those who are tempted to get into bed with power to benefit from it. For most of us, we may not be seeking to wield influence and power that makes headlines, But we recognize we hold some form of power, whether it's social power or institutional power. And with good intention, we seek to use that power and privilege to do something positive. We take our skills and our knowledge and opportunities and try to use that power to enact change through the work that we do, through the people that we know. We may seek to use the power of the financial resources available to us or of media or of our platform or our positions to draw attention to remedy issues of injustice and brokenness in our world. That's certainly a very appropriate use of power. But this isn't the nature of or purpose of the power that Paul is getting at here. For Paul, the resurrected power that raised Jesus from the dead and now available to us isn't power that we accumulate and conjure up so that others might be influenced. It's not power to get things done. It's not power to, uh, to, to, for others to do things. And that's how power works in the world that we live in. Apart from our union with God in Christ, that is our default relationship with power. We seek that kind of power, and we hold on to it by any means necessary to get what we want. And even if we tell ourselves it's for God or in the name of God, we are inclined to use power to compel others to do something. And people on the political left and the right use power that way. But Christ's resurrected power doesn't work this way. It's actually, in fact, more powerful than that kind of power that we're tempted by. Christ's resurrected power available to us means that we have the power to put to death secret sins that limit us from entering into full union with God. It's power to become people of prayer. It's power to remain hidden in the world without needing validation from the world. It's power to remain deeply connected to Jesus. It's power to walk in the way of Jesus regardless of what other people think and how the other people respond. It's power to live a new storyline for our lives that isn't defined by our accomplishments or by accolades or, or by our trauma and our mistakes and by our shame. It's power to live as a whole new people. It's power to live out the Beatitudes of Jesus, not just talk about them. It's power to become more like Christ in all parts of our lives. It's power simply to be with God. That's the kind of power that Paul is getting at. And that is available for all who believe and invites us to see. He switches from second-person you, the plural you, to first-person plural us in verse 19, emphasizing just how accessible this resurrected power of Christ is. Anyone who puts their trust in Jesus is included in this access to power. So, back to the question I began with today. When we pray, what is it that we pray for? Are we merely praying for our needs and our comfort and our happiness or maybe the same thing for other people? Or are we praying to see and know all that God has made available to us because of Jesus? Do we pray big picture prayer requests? And I get it. If you're a parent, you have these inevitable moments where your children test your patience and strength and we end up praying prayers like, God, help me not to drop kick my children out of frustration. If we're concerned, I know there's people who think like that. I'm not the only one, right? If we're concerned about justice issues, we don't have to just rail against evil powers and injustices in prayer. If we're overwhelmed by life and you're just praying to survive the day, I get it. Often we barely eke out prayers for ourselves, let alone praying for others. It makes total sense that whatever is big before your eyes Seems really big before your eyes, and you can't see anything beyond that. So that's what we focus on. That's what we pray for. But when we step back and have this big picture view of what God is doing, we step back and see there's this kind of life that God has invited us to through His Son Jesus. Everything gets put into that perspective. The problems of our world and the problems of our lives, they are real problems, no doubt, but they are problems. That God already has a plan to resolve. In Christ, we have a sure hope of God's calling. In Christ, we have the riches of God's glorious inheritance available. And we have access to God's incomparably great power. Will we see it? Will we know it? Enter into the fullness of all that Christ has made available to us. And may you pray the same for others. May this be the content of your prayer. And perhaps you just might find yourself seeing the world and seeing its challenges much differently because God's got it. It's been taken care of. It will be taken care of. So live a life of confident praise to God and pray accordingly. Amen.